a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Fall of Kabul, one year later. In-depth coverage on Inside Sources. Well, we're taking the first hour of the program today just to look back and see where we've been as it relates to Afghanistan. What does it mean for the United States and for the rest of the world? What does it mean for us right here in the state of Utah? And then what's the path forward? What does it really mean? What are the things that we should be thinking about? And one of the things that's been really interesting, if you've missed the first part of the program today, we had Miles Hansen, of course, from World Trade Center, Utah, who has such great depth and insight into that region of the world. Fiona Harrigan joined us from Reason Magazine and uh, talking about the refugees that are coming here and what their status is. Uh, And everyone agrees uh, with a, a principle that I come back to often, that is endings matter. Endings always matter. And in this particular instance, uh, we botched the ending. And not that it was ever going to be clean or pretty or a happily ever after, uh, but there were a host of things that could have been done better and different. Uh, sequence, as Miles Hansen pointed out, the sequence of what we did uh, was really off, and that mattered, uh, that we weren't prepared, that we only had eight people processing tens of thousands uh, of applications is just inexcusable, especially for those that uh, took such great risks uh, to be interpreters and guides and engineers uh, to to really stand side by side with the U.S. military and other allies. Uh, and so now, of course, here we are today, and the Taliban has declared it a national holiday uh, to celebrate the anniversary of their return to power in Afghanistan. And they've been parading through the streets, commemorating their takeover, But as we reflect on it one year later, uh, I think there are a host of important questions that still need to be asked. Uh, And it's not about one side of the aisle or the other. Uh, This is an American question. And some of those questions include the the Taliban. The Taliban promised to be a kinder, gentler kind of Taliban, a more permissive and accepting Taliban. Uh, But we haven't seen that in their behavior. We've heard about it in their words and their rhetoric Uh, But we have seen little evidence uh, that they're willing to live up to those principles they profess that they were going to uphold. And so then the question then becomes, where do we go from here? Uh, So I want to go to uh, a a really fascinating report. Over two weeks ago, uh, a U.S. drone strike killed the leader uh, of al-Qaeda in Kabul, in Kabul. And CNN correspondent Clarissa Ward, who has been such a presence in that region, uh, for so long, she actually spoke with the Taliban spokesman, uh, Abdul Kahar Balki, uh, about that. And we want to go to some of that sound uh, as to what Clarissa Ward, again from CNN, uh, a correspondent who has done incredible work there in Afghanistan. And she pressed the Taliban spokesman on where are we and what is really happening. Uh, we've made it very clear that the government of Afghanistan was unaware of the arrival or presence of uh, Mr. Zawahiri in uh, Kabul. Uh, so far, we have been unable to establish the f- as a fact, as a matter of fact, that Mr. Zawahiri was indeed uh, present in Kabul. Isn't that almost more frightening, though, the idea that 
you're claiming potentially the leader of Al-Qaeda was here in the center of the city and you didn't even know about it? Again, we contend that notion that he was even present here. Uh, but even if he was, uh, these types of uh, incidents happen everywhere in the world. I but mean, they really uh, don't. Uh, a great follow-up question there by Clarissa Ward. Uh, in That is the worry. If they did know and were harboring uh, the leader of al-Qaeda, that's one very concerning thing. If they had no clue that he was in the middle of their capital city, uh, that's another. And so that raises all kinds of questions in terms of the Taliban. And is there anything that we can trust as it relates to that? And, and the reason the trust question is so important is because when you start looking at humanitarian aid, food in particular, uh, really basically on the verge of of famine and starvation uh, type situations there inside of Afghanistan. So listen to this exchange again between CNN's Clarissa Ward and the Taliban spokesman. How can the U.S. possibly trust the Taliban leadership, though, to stay true to its promise that it will not allow sanctuary to be granted to terrorist groups? Uh, If we look at the Doha Agreement, the uh, articles uh, that that define the commitments of the government of Afghanistan, all of them have been fulfilled. And if we look at the commitments that the United States of America has made, sadly, uh, they have not fulfilled a single article. but we're hopeful and we continue to urge the United States uh, to adhere to that agreement. And then finally, Cl- Clarissa, who's been on the ground in Kabul, said there are many Afghans who helped the United States but didn't get out that are still stuck in Afghanistan. Listen to this. A man actually came up to me and pressed a piece of paper into my palm and said, I used to be an interpreter for the U.S. forces, and I'd like to tell you my story. And it is worth reminding our viewers today that according to the State Department, roughly 160,000 Afghans and their family members are eligible for these so-called CIV, special immigrant visas, that would allow them to leave Afghanistan. The problem is those visas are being processed at a glacial rate for a number of bureaucratic reasons. And so there are still many people here who didn't make it out that day or in the two weeks afterwards who still feel in fear for their lives. Again, that's Clarissa Ward from CNN reporting from Afghanistan, and that's pretty chilling. 160,000 Afghans and their families that qualify for those special visas uh, that are just waiting. Uh, Now we understand there are 50 people processing those as opposed to the eight they started with, but that is so slow. Uh, So as we look at Afghanistan one year later, uh, I, I remind everyone that I really believe that the future of Afghanistan is going to be determined by a group of women and young girls who are underground, who have tasted freedom, who know what it's like to lead in business, in government, and I think ultimately, over time, they'll win the day. Stay with us. Hour number two coming up. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on any smart speaker and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, Utah's all-day companion for news. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. 
I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.